Well, this series in the book of Acts is the story of how the early church spread in the Greco-Roman world 2,000 years ago. Every week is such a privilege to turn the page to the next story and go, wow, Lord, you're using these stories to speak to us right here and right now. But there are a few Sundays where you know God is doing something extra special and speaking in an extraordinarily personal way to people. And last week was one of those. Last week we talked about closed doors and unmet expectations. We talked about how Paul wanted to take his friends and preach the gospel in Asia, not like the continent of Asia. For a lot of you, last week was so clarifying. You're like, finally, this makes sense to me. It was actually a province that they wanted to get to where Ephesus was, but the Spirit of God closes the door and redirects their path over to Philippi, which is where they truly needed to go. It's where the letter of Philippians will later be written to. And we talked about how God is the God of open doors, but he's also the God of closed ones. And God is the God who is more than willing to disappoint your immediate expectations in order to ultimately exceed them. Now, I knew that message was for someone individually and a lot of different stories that are going through stuff. But I just want to say, and this is going to be a little bit depressing to say out loud, I'm taken aback by how many doors our God is closing in our church. And while that's sad to say out loud, our team is overwhelmed by the triple digit number of stories that came in this week that were just going, yes, that is exactly where I am. Yes, that is what my family is processing through. Yes, there's a decision looming or there's a diagnosis that's hanging over our head or there's something heavy on me right now. And I hope last Sunday was a roadmap for how you are called to respond. But I really hope that this Sunday is not necessarily a part two of that message. It's just the fleshing out and the living out of what it means to stay engaged in the story of God even while the door is closed. Like, what does that mean practically for me? How do I actually do that in my life? We're gonna talk about that because this week, we don't just have a closed door. We have a closed door that is locked and we have arms and legs that are chained up. This is the famous story of the Apostle Paul and Silas getting locked up in a Philippian jail and also the story of the closed doors becoming open doors and the chains breaking off when a song at midnight rises up to heaven. If you need a title for this sermon on one of the most legendary stories in the entire Bible, it is this. Free to pray, free to praise. Free to pray, free to praise. Look at somebody next to you, tell them you're free to pray. You are free to pray anytime you want to. Look at the person you just ignored and say, you're free to praise. You are free to praise. We are going to have an entire Sunday dedicated to addressing talking to God and singing to God. And the great thing about preaching this sermon at Auburn Community Church is y'all have proven time and time again that you are a church that is super passionate about both. One of my favorite things about this church is that you are a praying church. That's a legacy thing, and that's a generational thing. By the way, just taking you back into the story 10 years ago, the thing that Courtney and I were most attracted to about the culture of Auburn that we had noticed, not never having been to Auburn but living two hours away in Atlanta, is that people here actually pray. And not just people that we knew, but there was a generational impact of prayer. When people from all around the country always ask, like, why does it seem like God is doing something so special in Auburn? Like, what is it about Auburn that makes it so that the Spirit of God can just so freely move? And it looks like, oh, it's just a Southern cultural thing. It just happens to be where the university was placed. No, newsflash, this is the result of generations of prayer. 
This is what happens when people get serious about talking out loud to God and speaking promises over generations of their family and being dead serious about revival breaking out in church, but more serious than I'm going to go to a service, serious enough to get alone with God individually and lift up prayers. We're willing to talk to God. You know, there was like 130 people this week who came to what we called prayer boot camp. Like, you want to have low attendance at an event in church? Call it prayer boot camp, okay? And, and we're, we're in the triple digits of people who are attending a training on how to go deeper with God in prayer. Amazing. Free to pray. Free to praise. I love that this is not a church that is passionate about standing still and allowing singers to sing from a stage. And we never want to pressure anybody outside of what's comfortable for them and their personality right where they are. But we're not attending a concert on Sundays. We are corporately lifting our eyes and hearts to God. And there's something that happens when God's people sing. They don't just speak. They sing out praise to God. And both of these happen in Acts chapter 16. I believe the sound of prayer and the sound of praise is the sound of freedom, regardless of where you are. But before we turn there, we need to address a little problem, and it's this. No matter how much freedom you claim to have in Christ, if you are a believer, there will always be a gap between the freedom that you claim and the freedom that you experience as long as your prayer life and your praise life stay limited. Like You can claim all day long, Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You can talk about how you've been set free from the law of sin and death. You can talk about how the old you is gone and the new you has come. All these gospel truths of the New Testament. But those doctrines about freedom are not really tasted and lived out until they become truths that you're willing to speak about and sing about. So I don't want freedom in Jesus to be this elusive reality that a chosen few have or only the passionate ones have. I want you to know, if you're a believer in Jesus, even if you're not, you're invited into it today. If you know the Son of God personally and intimately, you have been invited supernaturally into a lifestyle that is marked by freedom. But your life can be free on paper but enslaved in actuality as long as your prayer life stays silent And as long as your praise goes without being sung out loud. And my vision for today is that as we read this legendary story, is that our expectations when we talk to God, and even more than that, our expectations when we sing, particularly together, out loud to God, go through the roof. And we realize more is happening when we pray and when we praise than we actually understand in the moment. Do you know if you saw tangibly what happened every time you prayed and every time you sung out a lyric of praise out loud to God, you'd probably never stop. And all I want today to be is I want today to be an opportunity for the veil to be lifted and go, hey, here's what is actually happening in the unseen realm when you sing and when you pray. And here's why we want to invite the masses to be a part of what only a few are experiencing today. Did you bring your Bible to church? A lot of you did. You've already turned there. I love it. If you brought your Bible, hold it up. If you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up high. Show it off to your family, members who didn't bring theirs. Just look at them with a look of shame. Not disgust, but just like, uh, you could do better. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And this passage is one of those that preaches just by reading it. So if I get a little out of control, excited as I read it today, I I was going to apologize. Why would I do that? I do not apologize because we're in church and we should be excited about the scriptures. We're going to read Acts 16, verse 16, right after the story of closed doors and unmet expectations. The church has been founded in Philippi 
And now Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, they're doing ministry locally, and this is what happens. Acts 16, verse 16, if you're there, say I'm there. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer. You should mark that down, because in the book of Acts, a lot of the miracles that happen on the pages of this story happen while the disciples or the apostles are on their way to go pray. They had marked out disciplined times in their lives that they set apart to pray, specific places that they would go. Remember earlier in Acts when that miracle happened in Acts chapter 3, where were they going? They were going to pray because this is what the church did. I wonder how many miracles we're leaving in the theoretical portion of our lives simply because we don't have regular rhythms of prayer. It's the supernormal act of going to meet with God that leads to the supernatural stories where God encounters you on your path. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. This is a demonic presence that's happening. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This is very common 2000 years ago to be able to tell the future. Wealthy people would look to oracles for omens and all kinds of things about making decisions in their lives. And it says, this woman has an evil spirit, like a demonic spirit that enables her to do it in a way that actually predicts the future accurately. So she's making her owners a lot of money. Verse 17, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Parents, do not try this on your kids. I'm just thinking about it as a parent of young kids. I'm like, we should go for that one. At that moment, the spirit left her. What in the world is happening here? Okay, we've talked all the time about how when the gospel takes new ground, the darkness pushes back. Every time in the book of Acts, the gospel goes to a new frontier. Spiritual powers of darkness start pushing back in, in, like from within people and then from the outside. This is an attack from the outside. And this woman is following Paul and his guys around, and she's proclaiming truth, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God, telling them the way to be saved. Wait, what do you do When a demon is speaking truth, you need to know this in the New Testament of your Bible and still today, when demons speak truth, they always do so with sinful ambitions. That's why when demons would start talking about Jesus's identity as the son of God, Jesus was always quick to shut them up, cast them out and send them away. Because even when a demon is speaking truth, it is happening in such a way not to further the message of God and the kingdom of God spreading, but to shut it down. And in this case, That example's pretty clear. She's shouting behind them the entire time as a means for distracting from the actual message. So even though what she's saying is true, she's making it so that they cannot create a relational bridge with real people. Because imagine what it would be like to be the new guys in town walking around talking about the way to be saved and have a woman shouting behind you the entire time. Hey, see these men? They're servants of the most high God. They're telling you the way to be saved. And that's why when Paul casts out the demon, it doesn't say Paul looked at her compassionately because she was under such oppression. It says Paul became so, what's the word? Annoyed. That after a while he goes, in the name of Jesus, go away. 
Like, I got to get rid of this spirit right here and right now. There's so many implications from this story that I could tell you about dealing with the demonic and the fact that the knee-jerk reaction of every time a demon pops up is not tested out immediately if you know Jesus. Like, there's so many things I could talk about right here and right now. But what I simply want you to see is that Paul's motivation for casting out this demon is the furthering of the gospel and opening the door for people to hear in a way that's not distracting. But watch what happens next, verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Men do evil things when their previous way and future hope of making money are gone. Just mark that down. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Why just Paul and Silas? Weren't Luke and Timothy with them? This is why. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. So they see an opportunity to get after these men, but they're going to do it on the basis of their ethnicity. Luke was a Gentile. Timothy was kind of a mixed breed, half and half. And so they leave them out, but they're bringing Paul and Silas in front of these men. You can actually visit this place in Philippi. It's been excavated, and you can see, like, this is where Paul and Silas were brought in front of all these people. These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. What just happened? Men who are benefiting financially from a demonic presence in a girl have lost that ability because the power of God has brought freedom. And now their only response is, Punishment for those who took away their hope of making money. And Paul and Silas are unfairly brought in front of these men. A crowd joins in. You can feel just the mob mentality that's so prevalent in our culture today of like one person's evil thinking becoming everyone's evil thinking in a split second just because enough voices are saying the same thing or enough bots, I should add on, not even real people saying the same thing. This is how a mob mentality spreads evil. It's like, yeah, oh, oh, they are? Wow, I don't even know the full story, but I'm against them. And all of a sudden... They're beaten, and, and when you read about beatings in Scripture, I think we, we picture like a couple of punches or, you know, one lashing. This is like beaten within an inch of their life. When it says severely, this is bad. Thrown into an inner cell, the worst place to be, in a Philippian jail and locked up. Now let's watch, witness, and celebrate what God does next. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Watch this turning point. About... Midnight. Somebody say midnight. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. 
He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Mark that down. After the simple gospel is preached, there's clarification of the word being taught. I love that. We talked about that with King Jesus gospel. It's not enough to get in front of a crowd and go, just believe in Jesus and pray a prayer and be saved. There's teaching about the king of Israel. There's a depth of understanding of what they believe. Verse 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Only God, only God takes the most random story of depressing and oppressive events and turns it this quickly for the freedom of his people and the salvation of souls. This entire story is a derailed, step-by-step, detail after detail that just gets negative and more negative and more negative up until the point that Paul and Silas decide we're not just going to pray to God, we're going to lift up a song to God in the night. And while the entire jail is filled with people who are listening in, supernatural power drops on this jail. The doors break open. The chains break loose, not just for them, but everybody in the vicinity. And when that happens, this is so key, instead of a massive prison break occurring and everybody walking out and going free, the jailer knows what's going to happen to me once they find out that this happened on my watch will be worse than if I take my own life. So I'm going to fall on my sword. And when Paul sees this, he goes, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. God is not doing this to your demise. God is doing all of this to pursue you. We're all here. You're fine. We're not going anywhere. They articulate for the jailer. The jailer goes to get his family to get in on this. And the kingdom of God spreads to the most unlikely family in the story. The Philippian church is loaded with like, all kinds of different people. You got Lydia, who's this super rich fashion designer. You got that slave girl who just lost that spirit that had her shouting out behind Paul and them. Now you got a jailer and his family who are all getting baptized in the middle of the night, probably in the same pool that the jailer was using to wash away their wounds. This is absolutely incredible and a movement of the spirit of God that hinges on two realities. What were they? Praying and praising. Everything in the story flipped the moment Paul and Silas talked to God and sung out loud about the faithfulness of God. And I want to read that specific detail. Go back to verse 25. Let's just talk about this for a second. Is anybody fired up about what we're reading in the scriptures right now? This is so good. Verse 25, it said, about midnight, middle of the night, darkest point of the night, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaking. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So last week, we talked about closed doors and unmet expectations. Now we don't just have open doors. We got open doors and freed up arms and freed people and God moving in such an incredible way. And a joy that existed before the doors ever opened that led to everything that we're seeing. Everybody look up here and don't miss what I'm about to say. This story is one of the first stories 
that I preached on when I realized that my calling in life was going to be related to articulating the gospel. Why? Because it's the best story ever to preach on. Just talk to God and sing to God and chains break. I remember getting on stage and I, I, I was listening to like all these charismatic preachers at the time and I was like, praise is the pathway to your breakthrough. Who wants a breakthrough? Lift up a praise and was like, dude, what are you doing? You're in like a, a, a really conservative church that can't handle this. So that's why I moved to Auburn. I'm just kidding. Uh, but but I, I remember like this is, this is like your go-to story when you want to get people fired up and stirred up to praise God because what happens? They pray and they praise, chains break, and jails are shaken. But then I read it this week at 35 years old, and I realized that is not the order of what happened. See, the temptation is to read this story and go, if I pray and I praise, God moves. But that would totally ignore the weird part about this story, which is really not that they pray. I think if you were beaten within an inch of your life and thrown into a prison, you'd probably talk to God because you probably have nobody else to talk to. It's like, God, help me. God, I'm gonna, I might die tomorrow. The prayer part, that's, that's understandable. It's the singing part in this story that throws you off. It's, wait, they were doing what? No, they weren't just talking to God. They were singing. Why? Because singing invokes joy. And if you're going to sing to God, that stirs up your spirit with a sense of gratitude in a way that mere words fall short of. Wait, they sung? Don't you sing in joy and gladness after God moves? Like, don't you respond to God with a grateful spirit when you're able to look at the activity that he did so that you can celebrate it? Why would you sing before God moves? And it helps you to understand that Paul and Silas did not pray and praise so that they would be set free. Paul and Silas prayed and praised because they were free. This is huge. They did not go into their prayer life in the inner cell and lift up a hymn, which by the way, was probably the Psalm that we read at the beginning of this gathering. That's why we picked it. A lot of scholars believe Psalm 113, that's the one that Paul and Silas were singing. So you already like lifted up that song today without even knowing it at the beginning of this gathering. Wait, why would you do that? Not so that God would do something. You do that in response to what God has already done. In other words, for Paul and Silas, their prayer and praise life wasn't an effort to get free before God. It was a response to already being aware of the fact that their freedom makes them live in such a state where my joy in God is no longer dictated by how this goes. Now I can delight in God out loud, even if I'm unfairly thrown into a prison and put into the stocks and beaten within an inch of my life, and this is totally unfair, and that was totally a lie, and that was definitely racism, and all of these things that were totally unfair. Guess what? The combination of circumstances in my life are not going to dictate whether or not I can stir up joy for God. I've got a reason to sing. I've got a reason to worship. And on the darkest night, I will sing with gladness that God is still faithful. And you want to see chains break and doors open in your life, worship God and praise God with that kind of a spirit. Not as if he's some kind of a genie that will bring miracles when you say or sing the right thing. Here's what I want you to get. You can write this down. Prayer and praise are not pathways into freedom in Christ. Prayer and praise are declarations of freedom in Christ. Pay attention. 
Prayer and praise, they're not paths that you're trying to blaze to get to that space where you feel free. No, they're declarations of freedom in Christ that help you activate the promises of God into tangible effect. So people wonder, like, why do we pray and sing to a God who doesn't need any of it? Scripture says he already knows what we need before we ask it. And no amount of singing songs is going to contribute much else to the fact that 100 million angels never stop singing about the holiness and the worthiness of God in heaven. No, you're talking to God and you're singing to God doesn't give God something that he needs and it definitely doesn't change the promises of God. It activates what's already true about God and makes it tangible in your life. Like your freedom in Christ. There are a thousand different things that are true about what Jesus has done for you. It doesn't change based on whether or not you talk or sing to God. But when you do talk to God out loud, and when you do sing to God out loud, all of a sudden the tangible effect of what's true about God is being written into your life. There are thousands of people in this church who are in a season of such curiosity about the Spirit of God. Such curiosity about the people around you who seem to be walking at a deep level with God. I just want you to know that level of walking with God and experiencing God's power is available to you. But as long as it's blocked by a lack of ability to talk to God out loud and a total disregard for singing to God out loud, you will be void of the power that's rightfully yours in Christ. You'll be void of that freedom. And here's all I want to do today. I want prayer and praise to no longer be this burdensome step that you have to take to get something from God. I want you to see it as the most freeing invitation in the world to declare what's already true about you out loud so that you can walk in it and these realities can be manifested. All the miracle was in the jail was a manifestation of what was already true on the inside of Paul and Silas. They were so free on the inside that that freedom by the Spirit of God started spreading. Are, do you understand? That's, that's how God wants to spread his kingdom in our day. I'm not saying he wants to spread it through power that physically shakes things as you walk around. But I am saying when God brings a level of freedom in your spirit where your relationship with God is not dictated by whether or not circumstances say you should be joyful, but your relationship with God has a depth of communion in the secret place and has a depth of enjoyment in the public place, in the assembly of the saints of God, God might just use the freedom he's put on the inside of you and spread it to your whole row and maybe this whole room and maybe this whole state and maybe a church that is serious about prayer and is serious about praise can walk in freedom and impact a generation for the glory of God. Freedom spreads. This stuff, oh man, you will catch this stuff if you're around a person who does it, but watch this. Look up here, don't miss this. The enemy's goal for your prayer life and for your opportunity to praise is for you to always subconsciously attach a burden to talking to God or singing to God. You are in agreement with the darkness today if when you think about prayer, there's this downcast vibe that you get. How many of us, when we think about praying to God, immediately want to close our eyes and go like this? I do it. Ah, uh, Because what am I thinking about? How much I haven't prayed lately? How much I need to apologize for? How much ground there is still to gain in my life spiritually? how much God probably wants to deal with me on if I actually keep going with this sentence. 
who's, who's winning in that exchange? It is not God's will for you. The darkness is making an effort to shut, your, shut you down in your own head by lying to you about your freedom in Christ. Don't you say another word to God. You got nothing to say. You've had nothing to say all week. And if you do have something to say, it needs to be a long apology that he probably will not believe because you gave that same apology last week. You realize that's not God talking to you. That's not the way our heavenly father talks to his kids. But if the enemy can subconsciously get a burden in there attached to prayer, he can shut down the freedom that's available to you by just walking in loving relationship with your savior. I want you to know today, every single time you pray in the future and you say, heavenly father, in that moment, I want you to subconsciously shut down the lie and go, I'm not praying to get free. I'm praying from a position that's already free. I'm already forgiven. I'm already loved. I am already totally washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And if, and, and if that heavenly father moment is clouded by that darkness, all of a sudden now you can push back with your identity. And it's not dictated by your behavior lately. Dear heavenly father, oh wow. I'm not trying to get anywhere with this prayer. I'm already there. So now what am I doing? I'm declaring the freedom that's already mine and activating the promises of God, not just in my life, but in the lives of everyone around me. We'll talk about that in one second because it's never just about you. The second one is praise. I think if, if God can make our praise feel burdensome, oh man, he can shut us down. Even if he, uh, not God, make our praise feel burdensome. Sorry, he doesn't do that. The enemy. If the enemy can make praise feel burdensome, he wins. If he can get you to stand where you're standing and going, really? You're gonna lift your hands again? Those hands? that were full of this action this week, those thoughts that were full of this stuff, those efforts that were, oh, no, 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 no. You, and, and, and whether it's based on a personality thing, it is always, always the effort of the enemy to shut down your voice from joining in with the song of the saints. And the way he does that one is by making your song about you instead of about your voice joining in with what God is doing in the heavenly realms. You have no idea how many things are happening in Acts chapter 16 that are totally unseen. Things in the unseen realm are now being seen, like that girl who was healed of that demonic spirit. Do you know when God's people sing songs to God, it is so much more than a concert. It's literally, scripture says, a show in the spiritual realm for God to put on display for the powers of darkness his manifold wisdom. I gotta, read, I gotta read that to you because you're not gonna believe me. You need to believe Paul. This is Ephesians 3. Don't turn there. I wanna read this to you. Paul is like, this, is, this was God's intention of saving you and including you in on a body of believers called the church. Watch this. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Watch this. In him... And through faith in him, we may approach God with what? Freedom and confidence. Go back to the beginning. His intent was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Do you all understand? That's what we're doing right now. Do you get this? Like you didn't come into this room or whatever room that you're in to watch Michael and Abby and the team sing to listen to what Miles has brought for this week and see whether or not it's applicable to your life, to take communion and move on with your week. You understand what Paul is saying? He's saying church is God's display 
for the spiritual authorities. Translate that for me, Miles. Demons, evil powers. It's God's display of his wisdom that has dumbfounded them so that every time a sinner in a local church declares the freedom that they have found in Jesus, the darkness doesn't know what to do with what they are seeing. This is so much bigger than us coming here today and you going, I like that church, I didn't like that, I like this song, I don't like this song. No, whether or not you join your voice in with the song is whether or not you want your voice contributing toward a heavenly chorus that looks like God showing off how gracious and amazing he is for the demonic powers that can do nothing about what Jesus has done for you. That'll make you wanna sing, even if you grew up traditional, even if you don't like our music, even if you, you got earplugs, it's a little too loud in here, Miles. I understand we do have some, but, but listen, guys, guys, music can become the most contentious and divisive part of a church when God's going, you know what my purpose was? All I wanna do is like show off loving and compassionate and wise I am. Will you sing? Will you join in? Because I believe if you can't, it is more than a personality defect. It is a lack of understanding of the price for which you were purchased in the blood of Jesus. I don't care that I can't sing and I don't care what you think because I know what he did. I have a reason to sing. I have a reason to worship. I'm gonna join my voice in with the song. Even if you're a little uncomfortable, even if you're like, I don't know about that, y'all, I'm gonna be patient with where you are on the journey. You're just missing freedom. You're just missing Walking in some of these things that were bought for you, they're, they're like right there. God, it's not, it's not, I gotta sing and get God to do. No, 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 he doesn't work like that. You just get to activate the promises that are already yours. What am I trying to give you today? I'm trying to give you a roadmap for what it means to actively engage with God when he closes the door. Because this sermon isn't about how to get God to open doors. Man, I, I really don't want this to be fake. There is a huge difference between pursuing Jesus and pursuing open doors. I want this to be, hey, in light of last week, how do you stay engaged with God? How's your prayer life? And how's your praise regardless of what happens? Because if you stay close with him, even when it is hard, even when it's a song in the night, I do not want this to be a hype sermon about let's get serious about prayer and praise and God might shake the building. That is so surface level and honestly unhelpful. This is a song in the middle of the night when you're about to die. Like a song in the night is not pretty, it's hard, it's tear-filled, but it's not absent of joy. And I want you to know, the next time God closes the door, and apparently he's doing that a lot in this church, not how do I get the door open, it's how do I actively engage with God, even when I am hurt and disappointed and even when everything is unknown. Here it is, you're free to pray and you're free to praise. Two things, and then we're gonna like live out this song. Anybody just want me to be quiet so we can sing songs? Don't answer that. I got two points, two points. Free to pray, free to praise. Here it is. Okay, you can't miss this part of it. Freedom in Christ is for engaging in God's mission, not escaping to our comfort. Freedom in Christ is for engaging in God's mission, not escaping to our comfort. Did you notice how strange it is that God would give a miracle like chains breaking off and prison doors opening and no prisoners escape? That Paul walks out and he goes, no, that's not what's happening here. It's not, hey, 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 you don't need to take your life, jailer. That, that is not what is going on here. Why? Because Paul's eyes were not, God, get me out of what's the most 
uncomfortable position I've been in. His eyes were on, how do I participate in God's mission in the world? Miles, how do you know that? The whole story is about that. Why did he cast out the demon and the slave girl? Because she was a distraction to the kingdom of God spreading. And he makes an opportunity to get her free, an opportunity to also free up the message of God to go out in the church. Did you notice that um, when they were singing in the middle of the night, there were people listening? Part of the reason why you have to be willing to lift up a song to God in the night when you're in the most pain and when life is the hardest is because that's when God puts a megaphone to your life and the world can receive what you're trying to say. I watched one of the dads of one of the people who was murdered in Maine this week talk about the forgiveness that he was willing to offer the shooter and everyone involved simply because he's like, I can't afford to hate because I know Jesus. He lost a 34-year-old son. And I'm going, that song in the night speaks to a lost world louder than all the open doors and prosperity that Jesus may or may not give to your life and journey. Why? Because pain has a way of putting a megaphone to our soul to impact the world. And all of a sudden, the song is spreading to other prisoners, and Paul's paying attention to the jailer. I don't have time to read this this week, but at the end of the story, this is so funny. So the morning after this all-night revival party in jail, the morning after, they decide to set Paul and Silas free because they find out that they're actually Roman citizens, and you can't beat a Roman citizen publicly without a trial. But Paul goes, no, 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 you're not setting us free. We're staying right here. You're going to free us publicly and basically apologize in the public square. And he looks like he's being a little petty and going, no, 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 no. But when you read it, you understand Paul's looking after the reputation of the church in Philippi. And he knows if they like release us quietly, the whole church in Philippi is going to be afraid to stay together because they're going to think we got rejected by the community and everybody in the community is going to kind of shun them. I need them to publicly show that they're freeing us so that the church can thrive. Paul's motivation from the beginning to the end of his ministry is always, always about the mission, not his comfort. There's going to be more uncomfortable stuff coming his way in the next few chapters that we're going to preach through. It's just going to get worse, honestly. I wish it got better. But his spirit and his joy are not dictated by, is this going to get worse or is this going to get better? His spirit is dictated by, how can God use me right where my feet are to be a part of the mission of the kingdom of God spreading on planet earth? I want you to check the pursuit of your prayers and praise. Because if all you have is a deep prayer life with God and like tears on your face and loud songs, but no focus on mission, you are an unhealthy Christian. Just like if all you focus on is mission and you never worship God and you never pray privately, you're going to be pouring out an empty cup. The same works on the other side. Worship and mission are intended to go hand in hand in the Christian life. In fact, I've heard a worship song say, worship is the fuel of mission's flame. Like we worship God deeply, so we go to a world that is in need. We don't separate the two. We don't come together for a party talking about chains being broken here and then pay no attention to our neighbors as we go from here. No, we carry the freedom that's in us so that it can spread to others. Freedom in Christ is for engaging God's mission, not escaping to our comfort. Is this good? Is this helping anybody? I promise I'm done. This one's gonna be quick. Number two, freedom in Christ is for pursuing Jesus, not pursuing open doors. Freedom in Christ is for pursuing Jesus, not pursuing open doors. God is not a vending machine that you come to with your prayer and your praise so that he will spit out a prize. So many of us, that's exactly the way we pursue Jesus. 
And if I could be real, for a lot of you, I've never gotten so much feedback on a sermon like we did last. Maybe I'm a sheep, like seven years ago was close. But uh, last week, man, it was crazy. And part of me feels like that's awesome that God is using that. But I think a lot of you are so moved by the theme of closed doors and unmet expectations because your obsession in your relationship with God is the open door, not the one who opens doors. Paul and Silas are not singing in the night so that God will set them free. They're singing in the night because they know Jesus intimately and deeply. And that's what desperate people do when they call out to the lover of their soul. So when I pray and I praise, the prize is not the answer God might give. It's not the job he might open up. It's not the relationship that might be on my path. All of those things, great. But they're not the object of your pursuit. The prize of prayer and the prize of praise is this, more of Jesus. He's who I want. Well, so what'd you get at the end of that prayer time? Time with Jesus? Y'all know like the, the best part of my week this week was this two hour period that I just spent. I probably looked like a madman while I was walking, but I just walked around this, this place that I was at just talking out loud to Jesus. And I, I left there and I was like, I don't even feel like that was an introverted time alone. I feel like I just hung out with a friend for two hours. Do you know Jesus like that? Do you sing to him as someone who's worthy of all of your affection and your attention? And as we call for the end of this sermon, and those of you who don't know Jesus to step into it, I don't want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus to get you to heaven one day when you die. That's going to be awesome. I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus because knowing him is the reason why you have breath. And knowing him is eternal life, John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's get our elements out for communion at all of our locations. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand right where you're at. We have team members walking around who will make those available to you. Raise it high so they can see you. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you just wanna leave that under your seat, but this is our tangible opportunity to remember the body and the blood of Jesus that makes this freedom possible, that he died, and that your sins have been forgiven, that you get a relationship with God that's not banking on your behavior, it's banking on the cross. What a moment and an opportunity for dads to pray over their wives. What a moment to respond to the message that we have just heard. As we take this time, I want you to reflect on everything before we sing one lyric. I want you to have a moment with Jesus and then when we lift up songs of praise, let's do it like never before. Not to get anywhere with God, but in response to the finished work of the cross. You can go into a time of taking communion. No one moving. Let's stay right where we are. And then we'll sing in a few moments.